South Africa is in the grip of a third COVID wave, with Gauteng the epicenter of the exponential increase in infections. The Gauteng province accounts for the majority of new cases, followed by the Western Cape. The current wave is being fueled by the aggressive Delta variant, and the health system is under increasing pressure as more people require hospital admission. A vaccination rollout that has been painfully slow has aggravated the situation, and the imposition of adjusted lockdown level 4 may have been too little too late. I'm Catherine Rice, a journalist for News 24's multimedia department, and this is The Story. This week, we'll look at the increasing COVID numbers, investigate just how soon other provinces may experience what is happening in Gauteng, and find out exactly what the authorities are doing to manage the rapidly deteriorating situation. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard and uncovered this week. This week we're talking to the head of the Western Cape Health Department, Dr. Keith Clutie. Dr. Clutie, thank you so much for your time. The Western Cape is recording the second highest number of COVID cases after Gauteng. What are the numbers we are currently seeing and are our hospitals coping at the moment? We are currently seeing just um, above 2,000 new cases per day in the Western Cape. Um, We are... Um, our active cases has moved up to about 24,000 active cases in our communities. We're seeing about 150 to 170 admissions per day. So what we're currently experiencing is a rapid increase in hospitalization. Um, There are currently about 2,200 people in hospital with COVID, but 1,200 of them are in private hospitals and about 900 in uh, public sector hospitals. So the increase in the private sector hospitals has been quite significant over the past two weeks. And we've seen an increase in public sector hospitals over the last week. We still have capacity, both in public and private sector, but we are starting to see some pressure on the critical care capacity, both in the private and the public sector. Dr. Kluti, we clearly are already in the grips of a third wave. How long do you think it is expected to last? We normally work on our experience from previous times. And um, we, in the second wave, did the following. When we are preceded by uh, another province in a wave, in the second wave it was Eastern Cape, We then watched the situation in the Eastern Cape from a specific point where the trajectory of their increase in cases and hospitalization and deaths. We then tracked that and based on their experience of when they start and when they peak, we then extrapolated that to our context. So currently we are following Gauteng by about two to three weeks. And based on Gauteng's experience, we can be extrapolating what the experience is likely to be in our setting. Because in the second wave, we had a predominance of a new variant, which was called beta variant. And now in the third wave, we have confirmation that this this wave is driven by the predominance of a delta variant. So our experience in terms of how this happens will very much be in terms of how Gauteng's experience currently is. And as I understand from NICD, the Gauteng is entering or getting very close to a peak for Gauteng. 
if that is the case over the next a couple of days or the next week, it gives us a clear indication from when we started compared to Gauteng that we're expecting a peak in about four, three to four weeks' time, which takes us to the end of July, the beginning of August. And are we seeing the Delta variant in most of the positive cases at the moment in the Western Cape? The Delta variant is the predominant variant of all the samples that get sent for um, genotypes by the scientists. And I just want to clarify to you that those samples are normally two weeks in arrears. So it's samples of about two weeks ago. And the pattern of each of the samples that are taken and then then genotyped for genetic um, um, coding um, of the variants, um, the ones that's come towards the end of June has now showed more than 70% of those samples come back as Delta. That is a picture that's consistent with about six provinces in this country. And it also is a picture that's consistent with what's happening globally. So Delta variant is the predominant variant literally in every place where it finds its location. And, and Dr. Kluti, in Gauteng, the health system has certainly been buckling under the number of cases. What are Western Cape health authorities doing to prepare to ensure that, that the Western Cape doesn't also get swamped? Um, in the Western Cape, we had a first wave in June, July last year, for which we prepared quite extensively. The first wave then was milder than what our planning was for. Then we had quite a significant second wave driven by the beta variant. And in the second wave, we learned quite a few things that added to our preparedness of the first wave. So there's a few things we learned. The first one is that we had to systematically be able to trigger an appropriate response across our system and not do it just for ourselves, but do it for the public and private sector together. So in the second wave, we learned a lot about triggering additional hospital bed capacity, about making sure that people have access to oxygen, making sure that people have access to high flow nose nasal oxygen, and then having access to critical care. And because we learned a lot in the second wave, and we did it jointly across the platform, so we made sure that we move patients, we have additional beds, and we work with our private sector colleagues, and they've done a similar thing our, our connectedness as a system to cope with increased um, caseload are standing us in good stead. So for instance, as we speak, we have brought additional field hospital capacity online. We've never dismantled that capacity. It's always been there. We have additional staffing. We've extended people's contracts. We've put additional oxygen reticulation in. We've got points of oxygen at beds that we've brought on online across multiple hospitals. And we have what we call huddles, which is um, clinicians getting together, managers getting together to trigger the appropriate responses commensurate to the cases as they increase. So as we speak, we bring more field hospital capacity online. We bring more oxygen points online. We bring more high-flow nasal oxygen points online. And actually, even our management team met, um, and we are now going to bring more critical care capacity online in the next 10 to 14 days. And we know that we're connected to all the hospital groups in private, and they're doing a similar thing. So from what I understand of what's happening in Gauteng, um, Gauteng has not had to deal with this massive um, 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 upsurge in the second wave. They had a mild second wave because we've been through a very high second wave. We have been, in a sense, put systems in place, learning from that 
to be able to scale up. And we are in the process of scaling up what we've learned in the second wave. What about the vaccination rollout? Uh, we seem to be in a race against time to speed up that process. But are we actually making any real progress there? We can tell you that in the Western Cape, we've gone over 500,000 people having been vaccinated. We can tell you since um, we've started on the 17th, 17th of May, 58% of people over the age of 60 has registered. And we can say to you now, 50% of people over the age of 60 has been vaccinated with at least their first dose of Pfizer. Many of them are now returning for the second dose. Since we've opened the registration for over 50s, at least 10% of people over the age of 50 has already been vaccinated in the first five days. So yesterday, um, we've been very clear in the Western Cape. We've brought online more than 200 active sites in the public sector. On top of that, there are 66 private sector sites. On top of that, we've opened a mass vaccination center at the CTICC. In about four weeks time, we open another one at the Athlone Sports Stadium. Our capacity is to be able to do more than 100,000 vaccinations a week. Well, that's really encouraging news. And I really thank you for your time, Dr. Clutie. We're now joined by News24 investigative journalist, Kyle Cohen. Kyle, you've been covering this third wave extensively. Can you give us an idea of the figures across the country? Basically, almost a year ago, when we started that first wave and we saw these cases increasing, the only difference now is, is that it's faster and it's more scary for some reason. Um, we have this news about this Delta variant, and at the moment we're seeing people landing up in hospital faster than they used to, and we, we thought we were beyond this. We thought that, you know, the scientists were telling us that this third wave would not be as bad as the, the second or the first one. And unfortunately, what's, what is happening is that this Delta variant is causing far more cases because it is more transmissible and it's also causing far more, far more deaths. And unfortunately, at this stage, nationally, we've already sort of moved past the peak infections that we saw in the second wave, which is about you know, um, 19 to 20,000 cases a day. And we are only really talking about a national sort of, sort of metric that is being driven by cases in Gauteng. It's only really starting to take off severely in other provinces. In the next coming weeks, we could probably see the Western Cape and Eastern Cape. Um, you know, if, if you all remember from previous waves, those two provinces were quite bad. And they're only really starting now to see the sort of exponential increase that Gauteng has experienced over the past few weeks. How many people have died from COVID so far? And what about excess mortality rates compared to normal death rates? So, so this again, we find ourselves in a bit of a quandary when we look to the national statistics, because at the moment, you know, the NICD, which is responsible for sort of monitoring and reporting on communicable diseases, is reporting that about just over 64,000 people have died in hospital, while the National Department of Health is reporting only about 63,000 deaths. So there's that difference in that number that sort of gives you pause and makes you wonder if the data is accurate. I understand that they are busy fixing the problem, but when you look at the excess mortality, which is effectively, you know, researchers pre predicting how many deaths we should see in, in the year, from data from previous years when there was no COVID. And at the moment, they estimate that there's about 182,000 excess natural deaths that have occurred since the 3rd of May last year, just before or just as COVID really started. That results in South Africa being, you know, amongst the worst hit countries in the world. 
if 80% of those excess deaths are COVID deaths, as the researchers do estimate, then we're looking at an actual death toll from COVID of about 145,000 lives. And that gives us, you know, a strong perspective into why South Africa doesn't appear on paper to have been as hard hit as some other countries in the world. 145,000 would put our death rate at about 306 pe- you know, uh, people per 100,000. That's among the worst in the world. It's, it's actually really frightening. And I think our government has been criticized, certainly for its lack of preparation in fighting COVID. Do you think the adjusted level four lockdown should have been implemented much earlier, Kyle? Definitely. We should have taken action sooner. Um, you know, th- this is something that I've, I've been following this quite closely and, and the health response is something that's, that's always been quite interesting. You know, lockdown should be your last line of defense when things are really getting quite out of hand. And what has happened is if essentially what happened between the first and the second waves. Our, our listeners will remember that the government started dismantling field hospitals and they sort of took this very sort of back foot stance to say, oh, well, you know, first wave is over, phew. And then the second wave hit, in, and in January of this year especially, things were like really, really bad. And at that stage, some of these field hospitals, which it turned out weren't necessary completely, had been, had been taken down. But it, it's sort of a signal of the attitude of how government, I think, saw what was happening. And then in the midst of this wave in January this year, they suddenly realized that, oh, we needed vaccines. And then the drive to get vaccines really starts. And I think the same thing has happened here, but it's coupled with something else. We had been through two waves of successive COVID-19 cases, and we had sort of identified that this beta variant that had first been found in South Africa was responsible for the second wave in large part. And it was a big, bad mutation of the virus, and it was quite worrying. But then there was supposed to be surveillance. You know, there was supposed to be testing these samples to try and figure out whether this Delta variant or any other variant was cropping up that we needed to be worried about. And that was being done. But from what I understand is that there was sort of a little bit of a delay, especially in Gauteng, in processing some of these samples. And that had led to more complacency. And even while clinicians who are treating patients daily were saying to people, oh, you know, people are presenting with runny noses and other symptoms, which was never a part of COVID before. Now, all of a sudden, they were, and, and things are changing on the ground. And that's when clinicians started to realize that something was different. And the Delta variant by that stage was already here. And I think there was a little bit of, of, of a delay, maybe by two, three weeks, maybe not even that long, maybe just a week and a half, just to to get that information across to the public and to government that the Delta variant is here. And that sort of led to things being done a little bit late. Like intraprovincial travel, it was too late by the time they had implemented it because effectively the horse had bolted and the virus was already spreading or the variant was already spreading to other parts of the country. So it doesn't seem like we can expect to open up anytime soon. Realistically, when do you think that could be at the earliest? I don't like to speculate, but, uh, you know, South Africa cannot afford to be continuously locked down simply because our economy is not robust enough to handle it. And I think that the reality is, is that lockdown should be the hammer blow that you use to, to sort of stem something that's really, really bad. 
In South Africa, lockdown has been used in, in, in varying contexts. But the main overarching one is that it's been used to try and stave off a collapse of healthcare systems. And it seems that government would like us to believe that this has been successful. The data that we have access to is not enough to be able for us to definitively support or, or sort of throw that, that st- those, those sentiments out of the window. Our healthcare systems are extremely fragile. And if COVID was allowed to take over completely as this Delta variant poses the risk to do, then there simply would not be enough hospital beds and there would not be enough nurses or doctors to treat seriously ill people. And this is the, really the, the quandary that we find ourselves in with COVID. And, and many people will say, oh, well, it's not that bad. It doesn't affect me. You know, it, it's, not, it's not such a big problem. Why are you locking down the country? Why are you taking away my wine? Why are you taking away my beer? You know, and what, they, what I would say to people like that is just say to them, well, understand one thing. If government allows a free-for-all and allows COVID to spread and we just open up and just carry on as normal without a worry in the world, three months down the line, if it's that long, then you yourself will be in need of a hospital bed somewhere and there won't be one. And people will be dying, you know, in horrific scenes outside of hospitals or in their homes without access to healthcare. That is the reality of what COVID-19 can do. And it is even more so a reality with the risk that this Delta variant poses. Which brings me to my final question, Kyle. What about the stand-in Minister of Health? Is she handling the situation adequately, do you think? I believe so. I I believe that these sort of things are, (laughs) you know, it's a baptism of fire in many ways. She's been dropped in and she sort of has to understand very complex issues very quickly and she needs to, to deal with the last year and a half of, of, of COVID response and, and other issues. And it's also in the midst of all this corruption allegations and it's sort of, it's very touch and go, I would say. And I, and I think she's doing fine. I think she's doing great. I think the department is doing great. Um, of course, they can be doing better. Of course, there are things that we would like to be improved on. But hindsight is twenty twenty, So we need to understand that the health department is grappling with things that they have never had to deal with before, just as we are grappling with things that we have never had to deal with before. They're doing okay. We are seeing more cases than we want to be seeing because of delays and certain decisions being taken. But we are learning valuable lessons from this. And the lessons that we can take away from any, anything that has happened in the last three, three or four months is that COVID is really dangerous. And the Department of Health can be the most clued up and the best in the world and the most well-funded and well-resourced in the world. It's not going to make a difference if we do not act appropriately, if we do not socially distance and wear our masks and wash our hands and don't go to the braai, don't go to your grandmother's house, don't go drinking with friends, you know, just sort of curtail your, your life just for a couple of weeks and keep an eye on the COVID numbers. When in your area you see that they are starting to drop you can relax a little bit but not completely and that's really the point it doesn't really matter who's in charge it comes down to us thank you so much for your time kyle uh, we really appreciate it that was news 24 investigative journalist kyle cohen i'm Catherine rice and this week's episode was produced with the help of amy gibbings mm-hmm.